every school classroom, um, I'm pretty sure uh, in elementary as well as the older uh, school, we had a portrait of Lenin hanging right in the front of the classroom above the chalkboard. So, I mean, he was looking over us with his grandfatherly eye. Hello, friends. Welcome to the Now's the Time podcast. My name is Caleb Suko, and with me today is... Christina Suko. My lovely wife. Uh, you can't see her, but I can tell you I'm looking at her right now. In fact, her face is very close to mine, and <laughs> she is very beautiful. But um, today on the podcast, we want to talk a little bit about some of the, I don't know, some life during Soviet times a little bit. We, Christina and I were out walking the other day, and she was kind of remembering some of these things. And so I just said, Christina, I think that'd be really interesting for a podcast. And so I convinced her to, to join me for this podcast and talk a little bit about that. And then we'll we'll connect that with, with some of the modern day things and our ministry here as well. But um, thanks for joining us. And I uh, want to give you a quick update about some things that are going on in our ministry before we get started. Christina, maybe you can start and give us a quick little update about what's going on in your life in ministry. Well, I don't know. G- give an update about the kids' schooling because that, I know that's a little bit, I don't know, difficult <laughs> for, for you and for us, but you can let people know what's going on. Well, this year has been especially trying for us school-wise, and uh, as of June 25th, we are still not done with school. None of the kids are done yet, although some of them are very, very close. Some of them will finish this week. Uh, others might go till the end of July. So please pray for us, if you remember, because um, it has been a very busy year and it has left us very little time to actually um, make sure that our kids stick to the school schedule. So what what's the problem? Like, why, why are our kids so far behind? They're a number of things that intervened in our schooling process, but mainly it's a very busy furlough. Um, homeschooling on furlough, I think, is a very difficult task. And um, and also the wedding and other things that happened on furlough having to be gone every weekend uh, really made Caleb and I tired. Yeah, yeah. And we could not just carry on on Monday as... The children should be carrying on. Monday. Yeah, it was it was just difficult with with all the travels. I think with furlough because we were we left last June and we were in the states until February, middle of February, and it was just constant, constant travel. And um, and then especially even if we were kind of more at our home base there in in Geek Harbor, Tacoma area, we still um, every much every weekend we'll go somewhere and then you come back and it's like Mondays are like really hard to get back on task and so anyway. We had to we had to use Mondays to recover and the children kind of use that time to their advantage <laughs> and so so we fell behind but I am excited that the children have been accepted to an anchor school here in Odessa it's a school downtown and missionary kids go to that school. It's a very small school, but we're excited for the interaction that our children will have with the other MKs. 
Right, and so that's going to be a big change for us in the fall because our kids will be going to this this anchor school, and I th- kids are, are excited about it. Um, although our oldest is not quite as excited about it, but the the younger three for sure are very excited about it. But it's going to be different with um, commuting. Yes, they will have to get up fairly early, probably before six in the morning, and um, have to catch a bus around six thirty. Thankfully, the bus that they will need to take goes right past our building, and the end stop is just down the block from us. So they can just walk there, get on the bus before it gets too crowded. Uh, the trick is to get off of that bus downtown and push past all the people and and pay as you get off. And so that will be a challenge. Uh, Caleb will have to brave the challenge on his own because I w- will go to Chile in um, August. Uh, Noel will join me and we will be going there to see uh, the birth of our grand, well, my granddaughter and your granddaughter. (laughs) And uh, it's going to be a very exciting time, but Noel will end up missing the first month of school and Caleb will have to get the whole school routine going without me. Yeah, we'll manage. I'll manage. No. I, I know the children are in good hands with you. So, yeah. And so another um, kind of update, I guess, uh, a new thing in our ministry here is we actually, our church here called Hope for People is sort of in the north end of town where we live. And then we have, I would call it like like a sister church uh, in downtown. Uh, it's a little bit smaller. It's about 60 people and meets just right downtown in a in a bookstore, actually. And so they have asked me to help out with that church on a more regular basis. So uh, we have just started that this month, actually. Uh, this has just been our second Sunday attending there and preaching there. And so I would really appreciate your prayers for us because, or for me specifically in this, because uh, as we're kind of making this transition to helping out with this church downtown called Skenia or Tabernacle in English, um, I'm I'm in two churches really right now and in have pastoral ministries in two churches which is it's a bit difficult but I see the need and so I'm just trying to do my best to transfer some of those responsibilities from our other church to to other faithful men uh but uh, that's that's a process and that's work and so I, I really really do appreciate your prayers for that but I think in the future uh you'll probably see some things uh coming out on our blog about uh Skenia Church uh, some exciting things down there. One of the exciting things, or things I'm really excited about, is possibility to reach out to uh, international students. Odessa has a number of uh, universities that bring in students from uh, from Turkey, from Israel, from Asia. Yeah, from China. And some of them are probably coming from Latin America, maybe Central I've, America. I've not seen it, but yeah, it could be India. Yeah, yeah, Indians. So anyway, uh, the church has already started a little bit reaching out to to these international students. In fact, um, I was there a couple weeks ago, and they had coming to the church for Russian club because they're helping them learn Russian. These these students that need to study in Russian. They had a a student who was representative for the Communist Party of China. That's amazing. <laughs> I mean, this guy doesn't know anything about the Bible at all, but he's coming to the church uh, for for Russian language classes. So, so there's some great 
opportunities for outreaches there. The Soldiers Ministry is still going on. Uh, just amazing how open they are to us coming in there. Uh, 95% or more of these guys are, have never been in Protestant churches, so keep praying for that. And what, what else? There's something else I was going to mention. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Our church is sending a missions team to Armenia, and this is the first time our church has ever sent a missions team anywhere. And so appreciate your prayers for that missions team. They asked me to come and speak about cross-cultural ministries, and so I'm kind of helping prepare that team a little bit. It's just going to be, I think it's four or five five people that are going, but uh, that's going to be, uh, when is it, end of July, I think, that they're going to be going to Armenia. So uh, keep that in your prayers. That's an exciting thing for, for our missions team. Any other news updates we need to share? I think that's it for now. Okay. Um, so let's talk about your growing up in the Soviet Union. Like I said, Christine and I were on a walk the other day, and she was just sharing some of these things. And, I mean, I've heard some of them before, but still, I, I think, wow, you know, that's, that's really, really different than, I guess, my, you know, my upbringing. So what, what do you want to start with? What, what, was, what was school like for you? Let's see. And this would have been when you were like in like what, like fifth grade, something like that, fourth, fifth grade. Well, I I started school in 1983, and my school experience was really not bad at all. Um, I I remember that was the time of uniforms, and uh, you know we wore uniforms every day. We had a brown or a blue dress, like a wool dress. And you would have, on holidays, you would wear a white apron. Um, it could be lace apron or just a plain fabric uh, cotton apron. And every day you would wear just a, a black wool apron. And um, every week you would have to put a white collar and white cuffs on your dress so that it would look all neat. So you'd have to... Take it off on the weekend, wash it, and then reattach it. So how many of those outfits did you have? I only had one dress and one white apron and one black apron. So you wore the dress five days a week? Yeah. 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 And then it got washed on the weekend and ironed, and then I, <laughs> I wore it the next week. So, so actually, I didn't really need that many clothes, and I didn't even have that many clothes to begin with. And so that was that was an interesting thing. Um, at first, my my grandma would wash my my collar and my cuffs, my white lacy um, cuffs. But then, maybe in about fourth grade, I started doing it myself. Although by the time I was probably in seventh grade. It was the time of Perestroika, and Gorbachev was the leader of the Soviet Union at that time. And things started changing, and that was the time when they actually canceled uniforms. And that was the time when we saw whose parents had money and whose parents didn't. <laughs> because the difference was fairly stark. You could, you could tell right away. So do you think uniforms are good in schools? Yeah. I do think. I think it, it kind of adds to the uniformity and it helps parents. I'm, I'm very confident of the fact that it just helps the parents 
to keep the clothing can you, yeah, cost can you down. Imagine, think about it. Imagine how easy it would be if your child had one outfit and they just wore that same outfit to school every single day. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> be a lot less expense, a lot less, you know, complaining about, I don't want to wear this or whatever, you know. Yeah, so. it's just there was never a question. You just wore it and <laughs> you never argued against it. Uh, tell me a little bit about, like, did they talk about linen? Absolutely. Stalin, Ingalls, in your elementary school, in your you know school growing up? Every school classroom, um, I'm pretty sure uh, in elementary as well as the older uh, school, we had a portrait of Lenin hanging right in the front of the classroom above the chalkboard. So, I mean, he was looking over us with his grandfather grandfatherly eye <laughs> and so we were supposed to behave ourselves but Did, didn't they didn't they tell you you were like Lenin's grandchildren or something like that when you go to first grade um i think it happened in october you were dedicated to be it's called the october children because the revolution the soviet um, the communist revolution happened in october so uh, in October, we all received these uh, little pins. They were in the shape of a star, a red star. In the middle of it was uh, a white circle, and inside of it was the golden profile of Lenin. Hmm. And so we were called Aktabriata, basically. The translation of it is the, the little children of October. Mm-hmm. And we wore those... Well, we're supposed to wear those every day. If you don't have yours, you are in trouble. And uh, that was in first and second grade. No, (laughs) I don't even know where it is. (laughs) Now you can probably go to a flea market and find those. And then you, in third grade, you would become a pioneer. And pioneers were children, (laughs) sort of like a pre- That was a wanna. <laughs> no, it's not a Did you know that's why when Awana came to Ukraine and Russia, they didn't use the scarves like because Awana used to have scarves for the kids, red scarves. Yeah, that, yeah, I remember that. So I don't think they ever used them here because it's just too associated with communism. So in third grade, we were dedicated into pioneers, and um, I'm trying to remember. I think we were supposed to say some sort of a pledge, and they would tie these red silk scarves on us and so every day your scarf was supposed to be perfect like ironed to perfection look very crisp well the thing is that it was silk so you can just imagine some boys they would just come home and throw it wherever and then the next day they would they would try to put it on and it looked like somebody chewed on it and sped it out and so those boys always got in trouble. But, of course, I always sprayed mine oh. with, with water and ironed it every day before I had to. You're such a good pioneer. <laughs> well, I don't think there was really much thought put into that. I think we all wanted to wear those scarves because it was the sign of us getting older mm-hmm. and, and entering the older grades. But, thankfully, I never entered Komsomol. Komsomol is... Um, is an abbreviation for co- uh, Communist Union of Youth. Mm-hmm. And that's sort of a prerequisite to become a party member, Communist Party mm-hmm. member. 
and you would enter Komsomol in about seventh grade. So thankfully, by the time I was in seventh grade, um, that was the time of communism sort of lessening its grip, and we were not required to enter Komsomol. Mm -hmm. But one of the things that I remember very vividly was our summer responsibilities at school. Uh, in the United States, there are 10 days of a year, I think, of field trips and other things. Well, uh, yeah, usually something like that. In the Soviet Union, we had a, we had 10 days that were called atrabotka, which is basically you're working at the school. Working it off. Working it off. I, I didn't I didn't even know what like I was working your off. It's kind of like community service. <laughs> community service, yes. I remember one of the things, yes, we painted our desks because the tops were made out of plywood and the bottom was metal. And so uh, during the school year, those metal parts would get pretty worn out and the paint on them would be chipped off. And so we would have to... Um, buy paint the parents would buy the paint and then we had our own classroom so we would have to repaint our own desks and chairs but one year i remember it was um, maybe when i was in fifth grade we were supposed to show up at school at eight in the morning with scissors so as you can imagine there were kids with variety of scissors some of them had uh, pretty big um, utility scissors. Others brought their craft little tiny scissors. And so we were puzzled. We didn't know what was required of us. So the, the, one of the teachers put us all in a row on a lawn and we cut the lawn with scissors. <laughs> and it took us four hours to cut a little piece of lawn. I don't even know how that came into their minds. It sounds like something from like the Karate Kid or something where they're <laughs> teaching you some sort of like, like disciplined, you know, movement or something like that. That when you get done, you can like defend yourself with scissors or something, <laughs> you know, like. It, it was, it was so mind boggling. If you didn't have any good way to use kid labor, just <laughs> let them be. <laughs> um, some kids could have gotten out of this work, out of this school community service if their parents bought 50 plants to to plant in the schoolyard. Well, my parents didn't have the money to spend, so they they sent me to this labor camp. <laughs> it was every day from 8 to 12 and like I said it was it was for 10 days. I never remember fondly those days. <laughs> <laughs> So, um, okay, well, maybe um, explain a little bit about the store situation. How did how did how did stores work? Um, maybe during the Soviet times, but also kind of right at the fall of Soviet Union too, because that was a pretty difficult time, I think, for as far as stores and buying things, wasn't it? Yes. During the Soviet times, our stores were pretty meager. I would I would say that in comparison to our stores now, but I think that from what my mom said, she said that when Brezhnev came to power, I think that was in the early 80s, I believe, 
then Brezhnev in eighties. I thought it'd be seventies. Seventies. It could be. It could be mid seventies. I, I, I can't remember exactly. But when Brezhnev came to power, all of a sudden the stores were full of variety of foods, and and the selection was amazing. And all of a sudden, people realized how much they were missing. Hmm. And um, I remember when I was when I was a child, my mom and my dad they both have university education and i think they both Brezhnev was from 64 to 82 oh my <laughs> i <Yeah>. was way off <laughs> so um i remember my parents my mom and dad would get 120 rubles a month and that was kind of a normal salary across the board so to give you a bit of a perspective on what things cost at that time to buy a box of matches it cost one kopek which is like a penny to buy a little bread roll which was a very popular thing back in the day it was three kopeks to buy yourself a passage on the trolley it would cost you four kopeks and the bus would cost five kopeks and I remember as kids, we would run to the nearby store and we would get this fruit ice cream. It was sold in the little waffle cup and it cost eight kopecks. That was the cheapest ice cream. It was sort of like fruit sorbet. And a loaf of bread cost 20 kopecks. Wait, I have to ask you about ice cream. What was the what was the Soviet parents' um, approach to giving their children ice cream? <laughs> I wouldn't say it's Soviet parents. I would say it was my parents' approach. Well, I don't know. I think it's pretty common, though, actually, <laughs> like in, in Russia and Ukraine. When I was a child, I had a lot of difficulties with my tonsils. I often had strep throat. And my mom was always scared that I would get another case of strep throat. So I am sure that I did not eat frozen ice cream till I was about 10. <laughs> my, my mom would buy me an ice cream, even if it was chocolate-covered ice cream, and she would put it in a little metal bowl and put it on the stove, and she would melt it, and, I, and the chocolate would float on the top. So and you then just have I, ice cream soup. Yeah, and I would have to eat it with a spoon, and it was warm. <laughs> so... Yeah. I had I had a little I had a little sneaky secret. I remember that often you would walk along the road and you would find a little a little 25 kopek or 20 kopek on them. It was actually 20 kopek on on the ground. And that was enough to buy yourself an ice cream bar. And I remember I would go to music school and on the way to music school I would buy myself an ice cream bar and I would quickly eat it before anyone would even have any idea that I ate actually a frozen ice cream bar that was my dark secret uh, your, of my childhood yeah. <laughs> well that's all you're hiding then I think well, you're a pretty, pretty good child <laughs> well I can tell you that I don't think that I got problems with my tonsils because of eating ice cream but but yeah that was kind of kind of sad so what what about like when when was there sort of like lines in the store and what were the lines for 
when the Soviet Union fell apart, all of a sudden, all of those connections with other countries, all of those barter connections that were trade. broken and trade connections. Yeah. And, and we found ourselves in the system of food rationing. And each household received a paper with a stamp and a paper would would say, okay, uh, different. Um, there were different blocks on the paper, and they would say, you know, five rubles, ten rubles, fifteen rubles. And some of them would say, okay, this is for sugar, this is for um, flour, and and so you sausage. couldn't uh, and sausage, and you could not buy things just with pure cash because so, pe- people had cash. So you'd have cash plus. A coupon or whatever that the, the, piece those of paper were was called coupons. Yes, showing uh, that you you had only bought. I mean that that was your ration. Yeah. Yes, and after a while, people started selling those those coupons mm-hmm. because some people really didn't need that much. Others just so I guess to I think in English money. you probably wouldn't call them coupons. They're probably like like ration. Ration cards or something, yeah, something yes, like, like something like ration cards. Um, and then I remember after a while, then they uh, were not used anymore because, of course, you know, people found ways around it. But I remember that um, our stores would close for lunch, and so they would close at one o'clock, and at two o'clock, they would usually bring the sausage, ah. and it was more like it w- wouldn't be like real sausage uh, as we think of it as Americans or Europeans as we think of it it was more like kielbasa Uh type or sometimes like bologna Mm -hmm. and so I remember every day like maybe at half past one I would have to go out and the store was actually attached to our apartment building I would go and I would stand in line there of about 50 people to wait for them to start selling sausage. And I mean, once it's gone, it's gone for mm-hmm. that day. So so I would stand, maybe not every day, maybe it's just in my, <laughs> in my childhood memories, my, <laughs> my understanding of how many days in a week I stood there uh, became an everyday memory. But I remember it's bitter cold. It's December, it's February, in any kind of winter month, and you stand outside and you wait for them to open. And the crowd of people, they were not necessarily standing in a nice line. They were all basically like a mob. Yeah. And they would just shove and push. If you've never been to Ukraine, well, if you have been, you you know what those lines are like. Well, if you can imagine uh, some of those videos on Thanksgiving on a Black Friday, you know, people pushing each other, trying to get into Walmart. That's so that a, was kind of a very similar experience. So I experienced that before I even experienced. Except that they weren't doing it to get like you know flat screen TVs. They were doing it to just get some <laughs> kielbasa. Yeah, yeah. So that's that's one of my memories. So when people talk about wanting to return the Soviet Union. I don't sympathize with them. I don't want the return of the Soviet Union. Not only was it a difficult time economically, it was a very difficult time. I would say uh, there was not much of a freedom of speech to speak Well, yeah, I was going to ask you about that. But, I mean, I think you probably didn't 
recognize or, or know, you know, understand that since you were you were younger, and then also your family was were, were not believers yet. So, as far as they didn't really experience the you know persecution for their faith because because they were just kind of a secular family. Yes, that's true. Although I I would have to say that my my grandparents, my my grandpa, he had to become a communist. Um, he was a member of the Communist Party, just because he could not uh, retain his job if he didn't. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was an engineer at the shipbuilding um, factory. But my grandma was always was always religious. I would say she would go to an Orthodox church, and when I was three years old, I remember she took me secretly and she baptized me in an Orthodox church. And so I, I think that there was still some desire to to have that connection with God. Mm-hmm. And I think that was passed down to her from her parents, uh, from her mom, because my grandma comes from a single-parent home. But we never talked about it. It just was something that communist households should not be doing. Mm-hmm. And so... Um, you know, that was just something I, I knew, um, the Lord's prayer, oh, you did? my grandma taught me, but you know, when you're in school, that was kind of laughable. And so I never to- told anyone, but I think actually the majority of the kids were secretly baptized by their grandmas. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty sure, yeah. but just, you know, you don't talk about it. Nobody asks, you don't tell. And that was that. It's interesting, though, we were reading a lot of stories in elementary school about Lenin and how, how much he loved children. And, uh, did you sing songs to Lenin? Oh, yeah, I'm sure we did. But, I mean, I can't remember any. <laughs> <laughs> but I can tell you that now, being an adult and reading some of the things that Lenin wrote in his works, he was, he was talking about hanging some of the uh, rich landowners so that others would know not to stand up against the Soviet revolution. Mm -hmm. It was just, it's just absolutely ridiculous that as a young child, I thought Lenin was kind Mm -hmm. because that's how he was portrayed to us. He was portrayed as a person who'd go and play with the kids around the Christmas tree, well, around the new year's tree. Um, yeah, so that was that was very sad. We did not learn much about Stalin or um, some of the other leaders. Well, Khrushchev. No, huh? not that much in elementary school. Mm-hmm. Um, but in older grades, we would have learned about mm-hmm. them in, in the Komsomol mm-hmm. lessons. But then by the time I got up there and was old enough, they canceled that whole but you I, you membership. probably learned about like like some like heroes of the Soviet Union didn't you oh absolutely I remember that we learned a story about Pavlik Morozov and uh, and I don't know maybe some of my Russian listeners will remember that he was a communist youth and he told the communists about his father who was a rich landowner he had he had grain and and his father killed him and so that was, um, that was such a terrible thing, and we all were so appalled that how could his father kill his own son? Well, the thing is that the communists would come, and they would just 
starve that whole family. They would take away everything that these people had. And these people were not stealing the grain. It was their own grain. The people were not stealing yeah, well, the and I, I cows know, and horses. From and, what I've read, they, that was during Stalin's time, wasn't it? Yes. And and they really uh, promoted children betraying their own parents. That if what, what was the rule? If you had more than, what, like five heads of grain hidden on you or something, then there was a death penalty? That was during the famine of the 30s in Ukraine. And that was just a terrible genocide that Stalin um, did to get rid of Ukrainian people. And, and a lot of people died. Millions of people died in that time. And my grandma actually lived through that. And it was just, um, I was just asking my mom about this. She said that my grandma and her sister were just little girls at that time. They were uh, like seven and five. And like mm -hmm. they would go to the beach. They lived on the Azov Sea. And they would go to the beach. I mean, all day long they were basically to themselves because their mom was working. And so they would find a half-eaten apple in the sand. They would just, like, brush off the sand and would finish mm. it. And they would have one egg a day to share between them. Oh, wow. <laughs> it's just, I don't even know how they survived, you know. And, and Ukrainian soil is very, very fruitful. And... Um, you just if you come here at this time of year you see like grain everywhere we just drove to kiev recently and you just see fields and fields of sunflowers and and um, wheat and but that was all going somewhere else uh, yeah it was all going to to russia um, the government in moscow was taking it away and so at that time even if they found little kids gleaning in the fields and they found five heads of grain they would be shot shot right there on the spot and um, and many people I uh, heard that some of uh, one of the ladies she was a newborn at that time and her mom basically uh, let her survive by eating her pump by feeding her pumpkins she would cook the pumpkins that grew in her yard and she would feed the baby pumpkins because mm. there was nothing else to eat mm. yeah yeah so that's that's yeah. something that my history books were not telling right. me but then in, in older grades we got a professor uh, an old teacher he hated communists <laughs> and he told us all these things that the books have not been published yet with the new history where those atrocities were revealed and so he would go into archives and he would find these things just these amazing facts and and uh, that was that was very eye-opening and even now I'm finding things that are just absolutely horrendous what the Soviet government did. In fact, I uh, posted on my Facebook page uh, an article in Russian about the island of death where thousands of people were brought and just left there to starve. Mm. And why? Because they were caught without a passport. Some of them forgot their passport, some of them didn't have a passport, and so they were just thrown on the island and people were forced to uh, become cannibals. Absolutely yeah, the atrocities, I think, of um, when there's absolute lack of any value of human life or any fear of God, it's just what man can do to other men is, is there's, there's absolutely no boundaries upon what men can do to other men. It's, the atrocities are just unreal, um, unthinkable. But I, that's, that's what happens when you take away, I think, just especially the fear of God, you know. And thankfully, you had a grandma that did have a little fear of God in her, and 
you know, wanted to get you baptized, taught you the Lord's Prayer. And I think in a a large way, even if you think about Ukraine during Soviet times, it's probably those, a lot of those babushkas that really sort of kept some sort of a Light sanity to the whole country you know what i mean well you know what's interesting was that my grandma became a christian first mm-hmm. out of all of our family mm-hmm. when when the freedom of religion sort of just started just the first church services started and my grandma went to the church across the town and she repented there and that was that was amazing and, and she was um, sorry um she would go there she would listen to the sermons and i mean we didn't have anybody who would explain those sermons Mm -hmm. to her but she would read the bible and then um, a little bit later both of my parents and my brother and i came to christ so you know there i i believe that god kind of kept that seed in our family even though my grandpa my dad's side was a very devout communist and when my dad tried to witness to him, he cursed him and he wrote and quoted works of Lenin about communism, be, uh, about, um, communism being the best way and religion being the uh, opium for the, pe- for the masses. Mm-hmm. And it just was so, so sad. And I don't even know if he actually came to Christ uh, when he died. I, I really doubt that. Mm-hmm. But, but he, was, he was a communist till his last days. Well, that is a very interesting history, and I think it's it's worth remembering. And um, although I think it's it's kind of strange to me that there's there are people that want to go back to communism, but I think that some of that just has to do with nostalgia. That things that were you know happened 30, 35 years ago just for some reason seem better. And maybe in a way there was some for some people it was the simplicity of life. There wasn't as much materialism during that time let's say in the 70s or 80s, but I think that the situation now in Ukraine, at least in the parts that are not uh, under the separatist uh, rule, are, are much, much better for, for the gospel because, because we have freedom to, to preach the gospel. So anyway, thank you, Christina, for sharing that with us. And um, hopefully you can join us again. <laughs> podcast absolutely i would love to all right guys uh you can listen to this on superfamily.org or check it out on itunes and uh and leave leave a review there or or uh rating that kind of helps us get out in front of other people and keep us in your prayers if you don't get our email updates you can find them at superfamily.org slash pray now uh, try to send something out about once a week or so keep you informed about what's going on in the ministry so that you can be praying for us and for the ministry here in Ukraine. All right, friends, till next time. Blessings.